0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you may be. This is Snapshots in Hockey History. And welcome to another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History, where we relive the hockey highlight reel. My name is Brett Small. As always, just a friendly reminder, Snapshots in Hockey History is a listener-supported podcast brought to you free of charge every single Monday at 8 a.m. I will never ask you for a dollar out of your pocket for this podcast. But you want to do something nice, you want to help us out, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media, on Twitter at SnapshotsIn, and on Facebook at Snapshots in Hockey History. I want to thank everyone for tuning in last week and checking out our most downloaded episode yet. It was awesome talking to Doug McLean. If you haven't heard that episode, please go back and check it out. Definitely a awesome opportunity to interview him, and, and he said he's going to come back on, so I definitely want to do a show with him on the 95-96 uh, Florida Panthers that went all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals in their third year of expansion uh, or three years after expansion. So uh, definitely want to have him back on this week. Alan Bester, and I think this interview is really appropriate given what has transpired the past week with Bill Peters, Mark Crawford, and some of these other NHL coaches, and and we'll get to that, but I'm really excited I got to talk to Alan because I've always wanted to chat with someone and do a season of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and I never really had the right person for the right opportunity to line it up, and when Alan said that he would come on, I knew immediately – I wanted to cover his time with the Toronto Maple Leafs, and we went into a great, great conversation. It starts off a little slow, I'll tell you that. We were kind of filling each other out, but Alan has this kind of dry, witty sense of humor that's uh, pretty good, and it shows in this interview. And so he really shed some light on what it was like to be a member of the Toronto Maple Leafs in the late 80s, early 90s. We cover his 89-90 season where he played something like 46 games for them. And uh, he did go down to Market. but he shares lots of good stories on John Carpenter. Tons, tons of good Harold Ballard stuff. And it's funny his reaction to Harold Ballard when I bring it up. And, and it was surprising, but he's not the first person that's had that reaction that played for Harold when um, I asked them about it. So uh, we'll get into that. The reason I think that this interview, the timing of it is really, really appropriate is John Carpenter was the head coach of the Maple Leafs. And while I don't want to give away what we talked about in the interview, I think back in the day, it was pretty common for a coach to be a hard ass and really abuse players. And I'm surprised we don't hear more and more stories about coaches kind of sticking it to players and doing things that were wrong. And I think the Bill Peters thing, everyone will agree with me with Akeem Alou. That was totally wrong, totally not necessary. I commend the Calgary Flames for taking the right action on it. I can't believe that nothing wasn't done about it before. But the player-coach relationship is so unique, especially in the National Hockey League, because this person kind of controls your destiny. So if you get on their bad side or you rat them out and you don't have support, your careers could be over And we talked about that with Paul Mulvey a few weeks ago. And if you haven't heard that interview, please go back and listen to it in our archives. So I definitely think it was a different era back in the 80s and 90s. And I think a lot of these players probably dealt a lot more with abuse from coaches and things along those lines. So um, anyways, Alan gives us his opinion on how he was treated, he felt by John Carpenter. And um, yeah, it was interesting. So we'll go ahead and flip it to the interview. Hope you guys enjoy. Catch you on the flip side of the interview. the summer of 88 prior to the start of even the 88, 89 season, there was all this talk about Maple Leafs owner, Harold Ballard, who at the time was like 85 and he had just gone through this stint in the hospital with diabetes. But what surprised me was how much his personal life was like talked about. I mean, they talked about his son. They talked about this woman named Yolanda, who was like his, his uh, companion. Mm -hmm. How would you describe Harold Ballard for people that don't know and, 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 you know, what kind of guy was he? I mean, he's almost like a Donald Trump-like figure, I feel like.
1: Um, Jerry Steinbrenner, or, uh, yeah, Steinbrenner, um, kind of. You've got to remember, the media plays played, played it all up. Okay. You've got to remember that, you know, they're selling newspapers, and they want stories. So, um, Mr. Ballard was great to us. Um, we got Christmas gifts every year. I went to Hawaii many times because that was his Christmas gift to us was two tickets anywhere Canadian airlines flew. Um, You know, he was the reason I was in Toronto. He was the one who said, bring Bester back. The fans want, we're having a crappy season. The fans want Bester to bring back. So, um, you know, I had a good relationship with Mr. Ballard. I thought he was a good guy, but you know, he, he was a rich older man and he loved the media attention so he would do things to make the media write about him
0: i guess what what got me though was just the fact of of like how popular this guy was cuz when you see sports owners now i guess you're you're right the last one was really george steinbrenner is that just looking back yeah. <laughs> yeah is it looking back all these years or or was he really that popular yeah he was he,
1: again the media okay has to do, write stories about something, and Mr. Ballard was our owner, and he was outspoken, so, you know, they wanted to write things. I mean, you had three newspapers that had to have articles every day on the Leaf. So
0: Very fair. Th- they what had else to, cover to write everything. about? Yeah, what, what else is there to write about sometimes?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Okay, so that prior 88-89 season, that had to be a tough pill to swallow. It basically came down to one-game playoff where the Leafs needed to win to get into the playoffs and, and you lost that game to the Chicago Blackhawks. And, you know, I'm kind of curious. You started in the on the team as a 19-year-old, which I, I want to touch on. But at this point, it's the late 80s. Kind of, can you set up, what was the state of the union for the Leafs at this point?
1: Well, a few years back before that, we had to win the last game of the year to make the playoffs against Detroit. And we ended up winning that game, went into the playoffs against Detroit and lost the series. Um, the game against Chicago, the final game of the season. Uh, I think we were tied in the third period and, um, the player pickpocketed my defenseman and he scored, uh, point blank shot and we ended up losing the game. And, um, you know, that was the end of the season for us. Uh, you know, but then, then I get a call and I been invited to go to team Canada. So it was, uh, was so, you, interesting. so you
0: end up going to the World Championships for Team Canada. What was that experience like after having a full NHL season behind you?
1: Well, it was, it was great. It was eye-opening because it's a different style of game. We played against one of the Swedish teams first, and uh, we had some exhibition games tonight. And where our in our league, I challenged a shooter, and the guy would shoot from 15, 20, 25 feet out. There they made three more passes. Try to pass it around you, um, which was kind of frustrating at first because of my size. I challenge and give up a lot of room behind me, and they would do or two or three passes, and so it was a little frustrating at first. Um, I had to be a little more cognizant of what what was happening around me, and maybe not challenge nearly as much as I would have in the NHL.
0: Interesting. So that, that was kind of the difference, and you alluded to your size. You you were five foot seven. Well, I'm assuming you're still five foot seven, probably yeah, is, changed much. Yeah, I was just saying nothing's really changed much on that.
1: Well, I'm a little heavier. I'm a little bit heavier than I was then. <laughs> well, that's
0: what I tell people. I'm six one, but I'm six one this way, not
1: vertical. But yeah, yeah at, I'm not. I'm not overweight. I'm under height.
0: <laughs> so after the World Championships, at the 1989 Entry Draft. The Maple Leafs acquired Rob Ramage from the defending Stanley Cup champions, the Calgary Flames. And prior to even seeing him work out, Harold Ballard makes a decision to name the longtime vet the captain of the Leafs. And that had been a vacant post for three years. And I'm kind of curious at the time, you know, why do you think Rob Ramage was chosen? Nobody really had seen him at that point.
1: Well, um, his experience uh we we still had a fairly young team you know with Gary Lehman and Ed Alstark and Mark Osborne and, and we had a lot of younger guys Todd Gill myself we were still fairly young players and when Rob came in uh Rob had always been known as a calming factor a solid stay at home defenseman um you know, it was, I think it was a good choice. I mean, I was with Rob Ramage for a year or so, and uh, I thought he was a great choice as captain.
0: So what kind of leader was he? Was he a vocal guy, or, or what was he?
1: Um, not overly vocal, but he did kind of steer the ship. Um, you know, he would, uh, he would um, take charge when he needed to, but he wasn't a rah-rah type of guy, but he definitely took charge when he needed to.
0: Okay, so training camp's getting ready to kick off. And right at the beginning of the camp, a trade is made. Mark LaForest is traded for a sixth round pick from the Philadelphia Flyers. And how did you feel you fit in with the Leafs at this point? The prior season it was you and Ken Ruggett. And you said it yourself. I mean, you'd been in the league, I guess, six years at this point or something like that, but you're still very young. So where did you kind of fit in?
1: I think that year we had um oh darn it. I'm drawing a blank on his name. Um coach. Um Carpenter? And Carpenter. Um, And I don't think he was a big fan of mine uh, right from the start. And most of the year, he would um, point out my flaws to the media. Um, You know, it was a tough season dealing with a coach who didn't have your back. Um, And it was tough because if you understood goaltending at all, you don't. Try and undermine your goaltender's confidence. Um, You know, 50% of playing goal is being confident. And um, I felt he undermined me to the press, to to everyone all year. Um, Come playoff time, he tried to get another goalie couldn't do it so once we went into the playoffs he called me in and said you know all that stuff that was in the papers you know was was not what i said was I was not taking out of context i'm like yeah right yeah <laughs> yeah hey. nice try nice try to get me back on your good side i'm still gonna go play my ass off of my players but uh yeah he was not my favorite coach whatsoever he was uh um very negative all year he he kept stressing defense 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 and our team was was offense, offense, offense with, as I said, Lehman, Olchuk, Osborne, um, Dan Foose, you know, we had Merwa, Tom Fergus. We had a defensive team. And then we won a lot of games that were higher scoring games. Um, we were not a defensive team, but Carpenter was always trying to get us to be. But, um, yeah, it, it just – we won in spite of him.
0: Well, you even said it yourself. Goaltending to me is 50%. Co- it's, it's a mental position. And, and you have a lot more experience with that spot than I do. When a guy is going out in the papers like that and, and saying things, how do you cope with that?
1: It was very frustrating, you know? It had to be. Um, yeah. And, and it's tough because, because it's in the papers that everyone else, comes on board. Either read it in the papers. I think it's true type thing. Um, you know, talk about the Trump situation, you know, what the papers say, everyone believes. Um, so you end up with being very frustrated. Uh, you're always trying to build yourself up. You had to rely on your teammates to do that. Um, you know, we were beating Calgary two to one in the first period. Uh, and, uh, Carpenter comes in and starts questioning me about a goal. And I'm like, really, really? It's two, one, um, And I lost it. I I did lose it. I lost it. And the guys were like, forget him or F him. You know, you, you're playing great. Just, just keep doing what you're doing. Just don't worry about him. Just ignore everything he says. Okay. So the guys were really good. I mean, the guys really supported me and, and that's all I cared about. Um, You know, and then if you take that and you go to the flip side, once I got traded and I ended up going to Adirondack. I had Barry Melrose as a coach, and he was the complete opposite. He built my confidence up from day one. Um, he could not say enough good things about me. Made me feel like I was the best goaltender in the league. Um, that I was working my butt off, which I was. But uh, you know, and it ended up paying off. We won, you know, the championship. I won the MVP, and I credit that all to Barry Melrose restoring my confidence.
0: Do you think it was that old school mentality of we're going to beat the crap out of guys and make them feel like crap? And they're going to. They're going to play well to show us wrong, because I was just talking to Doug Smith yesterday and and Doug talked about when he was with the L.A. Kings in the early 80s, that it wasn't until he left the organization and Scotty Bowman kind of gave him confidence that he really reached his potential and it was around the same period that late eighties, early nineties. And I'm, you know, Doug Carpenter coached in the eighties with the devils. So he's obviously that old school. Was it that kind of old school mentality or was just that just Doug Carpenter?
1: Doug Carpenter. Just, I, I, I don't have many nice things to say. I, you know, he, he, he acted like he was the smartest person in the room. Um, you know, I just, It just just wasn't my cup of tea. Yeah, it just just wasn't my cup of tea. It
0: it didn't. It wasn't for you. Yeah, and
1: and and the funny thing was, most of the guys in the room were laughing at him, so it it wasn't a good choice for us to have him as a coach. Uh, The guys coached themselves. The guys worked together by themselves. I gave credit to all the players in that dressing room for for having a great year um, because they pulled together and played well in spite of him.
0: So the the regular season kicks off and. I mean, you're in goal, and you had a good preseason, but, you know, i got to talk. The first game, you got to travel out to Los Angeles, and who do you get to play against? Wayne Gretzky and Luke Robitaille. And the Leafs would lose this game 4-1, to one. but I have to ask you, as a goalie in the 80s, how do you prepare for Wayne Gretzky, and behind him is Luke Robitaille and Bernie Nichols? I mean, so much offense. How do you get ready to and, and defend against these guys?
1: Well, I had a lot, a lot of uh, Hall of Famers, which... I faced over the years, especially you're looking at Howard Chuck and, and Iserman and Lemieux and Yager, and, and Gretzky and coffee and, and, um, Messier. So I focused the same way every night. I wanted to go in goal and give us a chance to win. You know, I'm not going to score any goals, but I'm going to do what I can to keep us as close as possible and give us a chance to win every night. Uh, when you got a Gretzky on the ice, toughest thing to play against Gretzky is you don't have to worry so much about him. You gotta worry about the guy you don't see because he, he's gonna get the puck to him. Um or if you give up a rebound, Gretzky's gonna be where that rebound goes. Um, you know, we played against played against Gretzky a few times and he's on a line with Mike Allison. Mike Allison scores two goals. <laughs> you know <laughs> you, you know, and, and Mike was not known as a goal scorer, but because of Gretzky, Allison, you know, yeah, no, couple goals.
0: no offense um, to Allison, but it, you're not seeing his name on the score sheet most of the time.
1: Yeah, you can't compare Mike Allison and Wayne Gretzky in the same same breath. But, um, you know, that's the kind of thing that happens. You know, Gretzky makes everybody so much better on the ice. And and he uh, he was just a, uh, 10 years ahead of his time.
0: So the season has started. And, and this is a very different Leafs team. You've got a new GM in there, Floyd Smith, as we talked about. Carpenter's the new head coach. The th- there had been three coaches in a year, yeah. John Brophy, George Armstrong. I- I'm I'm kind of curious. You know, two nights later, you you end up playing against Brett Hall in the St. Louis Blues. So you have another team here where it's a, a goal scorer, and this was the season where he scored 72 goals in 82 games. So if you didn't get enough at Gretzky, two nights later, you get you get Brett Hall. Had the team changed on the ice, though, from previously, or, you know, what were your thoughts on that?
1: See, for me, as a, from a goaltending standpoint, playing against a Brett Hall is a lot easier than playing against a guy like Gretzky. Because, as I said, Gretzky, you always got to look for the, the unseen man. He's going to hit somebody that is coming up to play from behind or something, or he's going to be behind the net and he's going to find someone in front where Brett's going to shoot. So... You know. on Brett Hall. Yeah, you know if you see. on Brett Hall. Yeah. You know, Oates has the puck in the corner and Hall is moving in from the point. Guess who's getting the puck? So I'm ready to challenge Brett Hall and take the shot because he's not going to slide it back to to Oates coming out of the corner to slip it into an empty net. He's going to be firing it. So for me, uh, from a goaltending standpoint, it was easier to key on shooters because I knew they were going to shoot. Where playmakers, it's tougher because you just never know where they're going to go with the puck. You know, they're going to have a, a perfectly great scoring chance, and again, like the sleeves, they're going to throw the puck over to, to, the, to the open man on the far side. He's got an empty net. So, uh, from a goaltending standpoint, yeah, having a having a goal scorer out there like a Stamkos or um, you know somebody like that is going to make it. I can key on them a lot easier.
0: That makes, that makes sense. And and after this game against the Blues, the, the Leafs would lose their next four, but they turn it around and win two against the Canucks and the Capitals at home. And this is your first stint at home this season. And this building is not around anymore, but I have to ask for newer fans and guys like me that didn't get to travel, what, what was the Maple Leafs Gardens like? I mean, that building just seems like a legendary place.
1: Well, there was two of them when I played. Well, three. There was three that stand out in my my mind as a as a hockey fan growing up and then to play in maple leaf gardens which was the shrine i mean it was um an older building but very much had a lot of character mr ballard lived upstairs you know which is crazy to me. he lived
0: on. in the arena which is like insane to me didn't he have like a condo or he something a, there
1: he had his own, own, own apartment and everything you know, he would live there um so you have Maple Leaf Gardens, which is, you know, been there for 50, 60 years, whatever it was. And then you, have, the other one was uh, Montreal Forum, the original forum. Mm-hmm. Going in there, um, games that I watched as a kid with uh, Guy Lafleur, who actually I got to play against Guy Lafleur when he was still with Montreal, wow. which was a, a big highlight for me. Um, actually, the funny thing was he came down the his right side and fired low six side. I made the they pulled it in, covered it up. When I stood up, he came by and gave me a pat in the pads. I was like, "Yeah, I made it! I made it!" <laughs> There's a memory for life right there. And then the uh, third building was old Chicago Stadium. With oh, of that uh, being down in the bowels of the building, where you get dressed, and then you got to climb all those stairs to get up to the to the uh, to the arena level, and then once you get up there. Um, the national anthem was nothing you've ever heard before. It was amazing.
0: Just the roar,
1: and, uh, you know. Just those three buildings. I mean, the other buildings were great too. I mean, you know, Boston Gardens. You know, there's a lot of old buildings that have a lot of character and and their own quirks. Where you know the fans are right on top of you, or uh, a lot of different buildings, um, you know, even even the old Checker Dome in St. Louis, you mm-hmm. know, with, with its cockroaches and rats, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it had character. So, yeah, it, it was it was interesting, you know. But uh, yeah, those great old buildings, and then you come to a little bit more sterile buildings now that uh, uh, are designed appropriately for multi sports and, and things like that. It's just it's just
0: different. Very, very, very different. And after the Capitals game, uh, this was a win, and head coach Brian Murray was quoted saying the Leafs were phenomenal. I know it's still early, Alan, but are you starting to feel that this team might be a little bit different than the prior teams that you'd played for with the Leafs? I mean, you had so much young talent now.
1: Absolutely. You've got you've got guys that would go on and have great careers that were, were starting to blossom. As I said, the three players, you know, old truck. Lehman, Leeman, floor 50, both back. I mean, that was a perfect line. You had Mark Osborne go in the corners, dig the puck out, um, you know, get it out to Eddie Olchek, who would set up Gary Lehman, who was a natural goal scorer. I mean, that was a, a great line. And then you had, you know, Vince Donfus and, and Daniel Merwa and Tom Fergus. Again, another great line that uh, worked really hard and were tremendous goal scorers. And you still got Wendell Fark with two other players, which I apologize, I don't remember who who was his line but um you know you got three strong lines there very strong lines so we were we were a very good offensive team uh and then you you started shoring up our defense with uh, Rob Ramage and Brad Marsh and, and guys like that so it was uh it was good
0: well you know i wanted to touch on Brad Marsh so the next game you guys suffered a loss against the Philadelphia Flyers and we're not going to go game by game but what was interesting to me was this was the first game that Ron Hextall – I only
1: remember the wins. Oh, okay. I only remember the wins. <laughs> well, that makes... The shutouts and the wins, that's the only ones I remember. So you, you can tell me about all these losses. I don't remember any of them. Well,
0: good, because Ron Hextall, the only reason I brought this up, he was making his regular season debut after serving a 12-game suspension for attacking Chris Chelios during the prior year. <laughs> so I thought that was, that was entertaining. But what, what got – this was the final game during this stretch that – Things kind of were a little off, and then things really start to get going. and And you come up against uh, St. Louis Blues, and you have a big win against them, who had won eight in a row. And Doug Carpenter singles out a teammate of yours, an NHL veteran, Brad Marsh, and talks about how good of a player he is. I look at Brad Marsh, and and we had him on the podcast. Great guy, but a friend of mine described him kind of as a physics teacher. He said he's a little nerdy and he's a little awkward, but he put together a hell of a career. How do you think he was able to, to stick for so long in the NHL? He was a fantastic player, but not a real flashy guy. So I guess, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, he knew his limitations. He knew, he knew what he could do, and he did that well. So, you know, he wasn't going to be an ally of Brady, go end-to-end, end and, you know, score a lot of goals. He, he was smart, and he played the law of averages, and he, he knew what he had to do. Um, you know, you've got some defensemen who who think that oh yeah, they got, there's a two on one. I should take the shooter. You know, Brad would be smart and, he, and and Alan, you got the shooter, I got the pass.
0: He knew what's,
1: we are yeah. on the same page. We're on the same page. You know, and I didn't have to worry that you know Brad was going to cheat and start leaning towards the shooter and let that pass get across. If Brad had to, Brad was going to sprawl out and block that pass. So Brad knew his limitations. And he did what he did very well and was a very solid defenseman. But again, he wasn't a Paul Coffey. He wasn't an guy You know that, That was not his game. And he knew that, and he didn't tend or try and be that.
0: The team took a little bit of a stumble at the end of November when the team lost its next few games. But what was probably more troubling at this time was there was a story released by the Toronto Globe and Mail. According to one report, the Maple Leafs locker room was somewhat divided with two players, Gary Lehman and Eddie Olchuk. Um, kind of on one side and everybody else on the other. Uh, An unnamed player said all they care about are getting their own points, and he said he was bewildered at the reluctance that they wouldn't adapt Coach Carpenter's strategies. And I bring this up not because I expect you to remember 25 years ago what exactly happened, (laughs) or even if there was something like this, although I've been very impressed with your memory. My question is, is this the Toronto media looking for something to write about?
1: Absolutely. 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 We were solid in our dressing room. Um, Every team I've ever played on has been solid in the dressing room. Uh, Whether we liked or disliked the coach, liked or disliked the general manager, liked or disliked the owner, the team had each other's back. And Carpenter may have said that to the press, for all I know. Just to stir things up. Yes. Very well. I don't know that. I can't say that for sure, but... That that would be that would be him thinking he's smarter than the team and can and can manipulate manipulate us using the press, you know. That would be something. Yes, they were very offensive-minded players. Yes, absolutely, one hundred percent. But that's why we were winning. That's right. that's where we were starting to to become uh, a better team, you know. He, you know, maybe we gave up too many chances. Yeah. But you know what? That's my job to bail us out. True. You yeah. know, very I can't score point. goals. I need them to score goals. I mean, if we can win four, three, we can win seven, six, you know, awesome. It's a win, you know, and, and Gary, Eddie, and, um, Mark, from a very offensive line. I mean, Mark was the, the workhorse. I mean, he, he did the back checking. He did the, uh, the dirty work, but, uh,
0: you mentioned that some of these guys were really supportive of you. Who were some of the guys that you were? Was there anybody you were particularly close with?
1: Um, let me think back. Uh, it's it's kind of hard to say when you're a goaltender. You don't you don't you're kind of on your own because mm-hmm. your 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 mentality is so much different than everybody else's. Um, I, and again, playing fifteen years things start to meld together. <laughs> Understandable, huh? Understandable. You know, I, I might start I might start talking about a player that I was comfortable with, and he might have played two, three years before that, you know. Oh, and and that's,
0: got, yeah, not a
1: big when, deal. When you, when you have the revolving door that was the Toronto Maple <laughs> Leafs, it's you, hard to remember what players played on which team, <laughs> you know. But Brad Marsh, you know, absolutely Brad Marsh and Rob Ramage, I mean, uh, the older players that uh, – well, one thing realized, that, you know, that I needed I needed confidence more than anything else.
0: Well, one thing, speaking of confidence, that kind of surprised me is at the end of December, uh, things are going well. And you kind of decide. And I think it was your decision to head down to Newmarket for a little bit of a conditioning stint. What was all that about? That wasn't my oh, it was not your decision. That's interesting. The, the, the reports I read in the newspaper said it was. So I, I guess set the record straight all these years later. What happened?
1: Um, I don't know, to be honest with you. I do not remember. Um, I think I was asked to go down for a conditioning stint because I was sitting the bench or whatever. I, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure, you know, uh, if you hadn't brought that up, I would not have remembered that. All I remember is going to new markets in, uh, in, uh, the following year before being traded. So
0: moving on, um, moving on.
1: Yeah. I don't, I don't remember that stint unless, unless, uh, you know, they may have said, you know, Alan asked to go down, but I, I would not ask to go to the Miners for any reason.
0: I was kind of surprised by that because I was thinking to myself, why would anybody take a trip down to the Miners on their own? But as you get called back up, things continue to rock and roll for the Toronto Maple Leafs. You guys go on, have a 4-2 to win um, over the St. Louis Blues. There were six, uh, or excuse me, who were 0-5 and five against the Leafs at this point. Um, You guys had several different goal scorers, Tom Curvers, Lou Franceschetti, Mark Osborne, Ally Afraidy, John Kordick, and of course the legendary, you know, Wendell Clark. And, and I have to ask you, we cannot talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs without talking about Wendell Clark. What were your experiences with, I I guess is one of the biggest fan favorites of the Leafs of all time.
1: Yeah. And deservedly. So Um, Wendell was a genuine person. You know, he, he, he brought his lunch pail to work every day. He worked his butt off. Um, he was a leader. He was a, a great guy. Um, probably one of my favorite players to play with. Um, you know, he did he did so much more than the talent he had. I mean he wasn't he wasn't the biggest guy in the world. He wasn't the fastest skater. He wasn't the best puck handler. Um, but he worked his butt off every night. Um, He was a team guy. He would step up and fight the toughest guy on the other team if that's what needed to happen. If uh, someone took a cheap shot, he was the one first guy to stand up and and get in that guy's face. Um, Yeah, Wendell was a genuine great guy, great teammate, and deservedly so to be one of uh, Toronto's fan favorites.
0: As we get towards Christmas, the Leafs have one final game before the break, and it was a doozy. It was against the Chicago Blackhawks. You played the full 60 minutes, and and unfortunately, I know you don't remember the losses, but you might remember this one because it had 17 fighting majors in it during this game. and, And even if you don't remember this one, as a goalie, when you're in a game like this, what do you
1: do? Well, I clean my crease. So I kind of skate back and forth, you know, so Try and keep my thoughts on where I'm going for dinner after the game. Um, you know, I, 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 the only time I get involved is when there's an out, out man situation where I need to step in and hold on to someone, which I've done a few times during my career. But uh, yeah, I'm not a hex doll. I'm not going to skate down the ice and drop the gloves and try and fight the other goalie. Why? I always, I always wondered why would you do that? What, you know, I have nothing against him. He's stopping the puck. I'm stopping the puck. We're part of both part of the IGU, the International Goaltending Union. You know, we <laughs> don't fight. It just doesn't. Never made any sense to me. Um,
0: well, it, I, yeah, I think you never, would have the best the best seat in the house. You just sit back and watch. And exactly, the team closed out 1989 in, in an exhibition game against the Soviet club Moscow Dynamo, which I couldn't believe yeah, you guys
1: were playing. Do remember that. And, and, i do remember that
0: what did you think about that i mean you guys are playing exhibition games in the middle of the regular season that seemed
1: crazy yeah it, it was it was ridiculous to be honest with you i was uh, like really i gotta play this game really well
0: that's what i was gonna ask our know? god do they even take this game serious because it's it's just one more thing kind of
1: well if you if you check any of the the video on uh on the internet, on the YouTube, you'll see this highlights from that game, and they had a three man breakaway. <laughs> they <laughs> we did penalty shots. We did penalty shots after the game. It was it was totally useless game, but you just hope nobody got hurt. But, it, it, it's like the Pro Bowl, you know.
0: Right, right. <laughs> Well, you kick off 1990 with a huge win, a 6-1 win over the Nordiques. Tim Armstrong gets his first NHL goal. You picked up the win, and after the game, you were quoted as saying, hopefully we can get some kind of streak going and get accustomed to winning. And, man, did the team take your advice. Went 9-2 over the next month. During this stretch, Gary Lehman was quoted as saying, we have a killer instinct this season that we've never had while I've been here. Alan, right. you've been with the Leafs since, gosh, 84. You were 19 years old how did you see the city react to this different team?
1: Excitement. It was, uh, you know, you didn't have to hide the fact that you played for the Leafs, (laughs) you know, and you, you know, um, you know, you got a lot of positive feedback from people, especially on the subway or, you know, around town. It was good. It was, it was a good time and, uh, they were having fun, which was great. You know, it's, uh, uh, it sounds like it nothing, was, better, nothing better than when a team comes together and wins. I mean, it, it's just it, it's such a great feeling, um, something you'll never forget.
0: We talked about Brad Marsh and how you know you enjoyed playing with him and how and how his style really uh, was was easy for you to to you know play with because you kind of knew what he was going to do. There were two other exactly. big time defenseman on this team uh ally afrady and luke richardson and i'm i'm curious what you remember about playing with them and also kind of what you looked for as a goalie what was a good defenseman for you
1: well uh, stay-at-home defenseman was always my best friend you know mm-hmm. the ramages and the marshes and the, uh luke richardson was a kind of a stay-at-home defenseman too he did not uh, rush the puck but he uh, he tried to i mean he was young he was young he, uh, he was learning you know reacting making the right decisions on the ice. Um, but uh, he was a good defenseman. The just never knew what you were going to get. Um, very unpredictable. You know, he he might be the first guy down the ice and the first guy back. You know, he just, he had speed to burn. He had great, he was unbelievably talented. But from my standpoint as a goaltender, he was very unpredictable on how he was going to play certain situations. And he just had to react to it. I mean, it wasn't bad. It's just, you you knew you you had to be on your toes.
0: February was a busy month for you as you started nine of the next 14 games. And I got to ask, you know, this is the eighties. We don't have the fitness technology like we do now. And and on the understanding of the body, how were you able to, you know, you know, what kind of impact did playing in this many games have on your body? How were you able to get up every day?
1: I not an issue. I was a young man in great shape. Um, not an issue whatsoever. I mean, when I was 19 playing Toronto, I had 25 games in a row and that wore a little bit, but they gave me rest. I didn't have to practice that often. I didn't have to do a lot of pregame skates and things like that. So, um, again, I was 25, 26 years old in best shape of my life at the time. And, uh, it wasn't, wasn't an issue whatsoever. and 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 you you pace yourself too in practice i i was always a hard i always practiced i always felt every time i stepped on the ice i needed to play as well as i could Mm -hmm. and 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 just for myself but from also for my team so that you know they weren't dumping it into an empty net you know they were trying to better themselves so um it was always a challenge for me to make sure I, I played as well as I could in practice, you played like you practice, you play like you practice. And uh, if you're slacking off and, and not giving hundred uh, percent for the games.
0: One guy you did practice with, and you've talked about how powerful his offense was, was Gary Lehman, who at this point had 41 goals. You've heard about Brett Hall. He can, you know, he's got a hell of a shot. Gretzky's got the vision what did Gary Lehman have that gave him the ability to score so many goals? Uh, he was an offensive juggernaut.
1: He, he was a natural goal scorer. He had great hands. Um, Gary was a scratch golfer. Um, you know, he could play shortstop. He was just a great athlete. But, you know, Gary had unbelievable control of the stick and the puck. Uh, he knew how to score. And he would put himself in, in positions where Eddie Olczyk or Mark Osborne could feed him, and he was he was going to hit the spot. You know, if you gave him, you. And, and he was smart. He was smart. In practice, I don't know how many times I'm on the post and he's going around behind the net and he banks it off the back backside of my knee into the net. You know, you know stuff like that. So you know, just Gary. Gary got the confidence and he knew he was a good goal scorer and he fed off that. And it helps to have two great line mates too.
0: The end of February included a Western Canadian road trip highlighted by a big overtime win with the, against the Oilers. And Vincent Danfoos had the hat trick during this game and it would start the month of March for him with 20 points in 12 games. He was so young, but would go on to have such a, a long career. Did you see the talent early on that he had?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, we knew Dan Foose was a good player, and uh, um, yeah, he He we knew he was just only going to get better. Um, you know, putting him with Tom Fergus and Daniel Marois was a was it was a great line. I mean, they they took a while to gel, but you know, they definitely started knowing where people were going to be. It, it, it's great to keep a line together as long as you can, because then you start. Um, understanding where they're going to be in certain situations and um, you you get an instinct for each other. And, and uh, you know, I knew Dan was going to be a great player at the
0: beginning of March. There's a flurry of activity on the team. The tread deadline is approaching and the race for the playoffs is on lots going on. And a report comes out that Leafs forward John Kordick had been suspended by the team due to personal issues and his issues have been well-documented and I don't think this is really the, the appropriate place to go into it, but I'm curious when a guy gets suspended on the team like that, what does it do to the locker room and the chemistry for your team? You guys have been playing together for all these months. Does a guy suspended like that, what happens, what kind of does it do damage in the locker room, I guess you should say?
1: John was a bit of a loner anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he was he was the guy he, he, he kept to himself. Um, he he went a different way every time we go to another city. He'd go a different direction, so we understood and we knew, and I don't think it affected the dressing room much at all. Um, to be to, to be honest, I mean, if if sure. you know Gary Lehman or Wendell Clark, you know that would be something different. But um, John was kind of a, a lone wolf. So with him not there, it, it didn't affect the, the, the dynamics of dressing him very much at all.
0: I think that makes a lot of sense. It just was he was on his own most of the time, so it really didn't impact the chemistry. And, of course, John, taken from us way too soon, um, he had his struggles, yep. and, and they've been well documented. But uh, the team struggled a little bit going down the stretch. The Leafs finally wrap up the regular season with a big win over the Chicago Blackhawks, and for the first time in a decade, don't have a losing season. Vinnie Damfoos set a record for points for a left winger on the Leafs. And Gary Lehman scored over 50 goals. You had a great season. But on a sad note, kind of the end of an era. Harold Ballard passes away at the age of 86, I believe, in April. And I'm, mm-hmm. what was everyone's reaction? I'm sure they were sad. But do you have any memories of that?
1: I just remember the funeral and uh, the procession. You know, I was sad to see Mr. Ballard go. I, I teased him earlier in my career. Um, I was walking in the dressing room one night before a game and he, with his diabetes, he was always being, his feet were always being worked on by our trainer. And he was in the training room as I walked by. He goes, hey, Bester, I think I can get you a at uh, Greenwood tomorrow night. <laughs> I said, you better be careful, Mr. Ballard. I said, you better be nice to me. He goes, what do you mean? I said, you better be nice to me. I'll ruin your reputation. Tell everyone you're a nice guy. Well, <laughs>
0: no. All these years later, it, it one thing I caught that you said is you still call him Mr. Ballard. And I think that shows oh, yeah. the amount of respect that you had for him. And, and it sounds like, most other players that I've talked to had that kind of respect. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah. You know, he, he didn't come down in the dressing room and rant and rave and, and try and stick his nose. in. I mean, he, he had his position. He was the owner. He was his team and he treated us well. We, we never, never had a situation where we were like, oh yeah, the guy won't spring for this or he won't do, you know, you know, we're, we're flying on, you know, uh, broken Wing Airlines, you know, he, he treated us well. He he respected our abilities. Uh, he was a, a great guy. I always liked Mr. Ballard. And uh, he, one night I was, uh, I was injured or not playing for whatever reason. I think I was still out with a knee injury. And I was going to sit in the coach's room and watch the game. So the team went out. The coach went out. I went into the coach's room, which might have been... Um, Brophy's office at the time, and I went in there to sit down and watch the game on TV, and Mr. Ballard was in there. I was like, oh, hi, Mr. Ballard. He goes, hey, come sit with me in the bunker. Oh, Uh, wow. Oh, oh, okay. (laughs) Wow. Um, Sure. So I went and sat in the bunker and watched the game with Mr. Ballard in the bunker. And he's like, oh, do you want something to drink, Alan? We can order food. You know? I said, no, I'm fine, sir. Thank you. I'll just sit right here and try and hide so I don't get teased too much in the dressing room the next day. So wow. next day, I, got, I was I was told I was the reincarnation of King Clancy sitting in there with him. So.
0: Oh, I love um, it. I love it. Wow. And, and yeah. for those that don't know, uh, the, the the bunker was where he watched every game. But where was that in Maple Leaf Gardens?
1: It was in the visitor's end, right um, in the back wall, just to the right of the net. There was a, a wall there, and, and then there was a cutout, and that was the bunker back in there. That was Mr. Ballard's bunker. He sat back there. It was just, at one time, it was above the glass, and then when they went to the tall glass, it was just behind the glass. So you sat in the in the visitor's end behind the behind the net to the right. Very cool. Um, Yeah, it was very, that was, that was uh, a claim to fame was I sat with Mr. Ballard in the bunker for a game. I think it was one other, I think it was one other player that did that, that I know of, and that was uh, Jim Korn.
0: Wow. What a great story. I'm I'm glad you shared that. And as the regular season wound down, it was time for the playoffs. They're right around the corner. And, um, you know, as a goaltender, you talked earlier about, um, you know, the head coach Carpenter kind of trying to get back in your corner. How did you, did you prepare differently for the playoffs than you did during the regular season?
1: No, no, I, I didn't prepare any differently. I, I, again, I was fighting for my job every night Mm -hmm. and pretty much the whole time in Toronto. That's the way it was, was. I was fighting for my job and, uh, going into playoffs. It was, you know, I'm going to the best I can. I can't do anything more than that. Um, you know, we've got St. Louis. I, it's a team that I like to play against. They like to shoot the puck. They're not a, you know, pass the puck around you. Type team. So uh, um, I was looking forward to the playoffs. And uh, once we got into them, um, yeah, they were a strong team. <laughs> they, they
0: were, they were. And we could do a game by game review of this, but it, it did not work out. It was a four, one win looking back all these years later. Anything that maybe you guys could have done differently? Uh, They were a strong team.
1: Yeah, they outshot us badly every night. Um, We we didn't lose too badly each night, but uh, it was a 4-1, 4-2. And then uh, Jeff Reese went in for a game, and uh, we ended up getting a win in that game with Jeff playing. And then he got hurt the next game, so I was back in. And then uh, we had the famous uh, goal by Sergio Mameso in, uh, uh, was it over? Yeah, it was overtime. And that was basically the last last goal against in Toronto that I, I had. Mameso um, shot it from the blue line. Luca Franceschetti was halfway between me and him. I never saw it coming. By the time I saw it, it had dropped about three feet and bounced through my legs and it was an overtime winner. And, um, from that point on, uh, I was no longer a Toronto Maple Leaf. <laughs> well, it, it... I was in the minors, the minors the next year. And yeah, I got traded, but you'd
0: go on to play so many more years. You'd have a, a great year. I know you'd, you'd end your career, I think with the Orlando solar bears, and that's where you are now. Correct.
1: Correct. Yeah. I, I, uh, decided to stay in Orlando. Um, I had an opportunity to, uh, leave here and go play a few more years in the eye, which is, was at the time was, was a great league. Uh, I was making great money. Um, we were flying everywhere. Um, a lot of, uh, veteran NHLers in the league, as well as all the young prospects, because the league was such a great league. Um, you could step right out of this, right into the NHL. Um, it was great. And, uh, I just decided, you know, with my ankle surgery, um, my my stability just wasn't good enough. Um, I hurt my ankle early in my career, and it just got progressively worse uh, until we finally found out, find the, finally found the problem, and they operated. But uh, my ankle was never the same. I, to the day, I can't even rollerblade because my ankle just it just doesn't feel right in the in the boot. So, um, that's a shame. I decided to stay here. I decided to stay here.
0: So now you're in sales, I believe. You've got a very successful career. I guess tell everybody what you're up to now as we kind of wrap this thing up.
1: Well, I only played professional hockey for 15 years, and now I've uh, worked 20 years as a senior sales manager for the hotel industry. A few different companies, but now I'm with the Waldorf Astoria Orlando and the Hilton Bonnet Creek Orlando, and uh, it's one of the nicest Properties. It's a two-property complex here in Orlando, on Dis- not within Disney's gates, but not on Disney property. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's just I handle groups. Um, it's, it, 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 it's not brain surgery, but it's rewarding. And I've been doing it for 20 years now, and I'm looking towards my eventual retirement and uh, looking forward to that in the next few years.
0: I was shocked when I asked about Harold Ballard. That's the second player that played for him that I've talked to that had nothing but respect for him. I thought Harold Ballard was kind of like this crazy guy that everybody hated and they thought he was insane. But evidently he wasn't. His players really respected him and really liked him. And it sounds like he actually treated most of those guys pretty well. And and I know Daryl Sittler. I know about other Davey Keon, other players that didn't get along with Harold. But for the most part, a lot of the guys I've talked to have told me he wasn't as bad as I thought he was. So great interview. Glad Alan stopped by. Glad I got to talk to him. He's doing really well in Florida, it sounds like. And uh, getting ready for retirement. But I'm glad he got to stop by that's it for this week. We'll have another new episode next week at 8 a.m. as always every Monday. Although I will say I'm going to be taking two weeks off in the December, January timeframe, uh, just for Christmas and new Year's. going to take a couple weeks off, try to bank a few interviews, uh, starting to run a little bit low. This is the time of year where it's try to, it's hard to get people. So I want to kind of try to stock up and, and, um, restock on the interviews and, and things along those lines, but still having fun with it. And as long as you guys are still listening, we'll definitely keep producing these in the meantime, if you want to help out the show you want to help it grow please don't be afraid to tell a friend also don't forget to share on social media on facebook at snapshots in hockey history or on twitter at snapshots in also those reviews really really help so if you enjoy the show please consider leaving a review Uh, five stars would be great anything less than that they basically tell me is like doesn't matter i know it's the weirdest algorithm itunes thing or whatever Sorry I've rambled a little bit this week. It's like 10 o'clock at night, and I have to go back to work tomorrow, so I'm kind of dreading that. But uh, I wanted to make sure I got this out, and I hope everyone enjoyed the interview with Alan Bester. So have a great week. We'll see everyone on Monday next week at 8 a.m. for another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History.